morning, everybody, or good afternoon, everybody, whenever it is that you get your podcast fix. My name is Derek Smith, and this is the Truth or Derek show, or the Truth or Derek podcast. Call it whatever you want. Um, boy, oh boy, as always, do we have some fun today. We are talking with the ultimate Hollywood insider, Mike Sinkin. Uh, I highly suggest everyone head over to uh, Twitter if you're on the social media <laughs> if you're a social media fan or if you're uh, partaking social media stuff, go over to at Mike Sington. Uh, he's awesome and he's posting all the time and the guy knows all the dirt on everything. And we're going to talk to him about everything, but, uh, you know, we can't talk to him until we get uh, our little bit of uh, whatever it is we do ahead of time out of the way. And that always starts with our friends over at www.podstars.net. Get ready to take your podcasting career to the next level with www.podstars.net. Podstars is a talented and passionate community that will give you the opportunity to interview top professionals from a variety of industries where they will share their thoughts and experiences with your audience. Plus, everyone will have access to the exclusive celebrity catalog featuring some of the best in the business, both new and established. Uh, That's where I got Mr. Sington to chat with today. Podstars is also free to join. As a member of Podstars, you can choose from the catalog of celebrities to interview on your podcast. And if you're interested, for a small additional monthly fee of only $8.99 a month, you can upgrade to the community plan. A completely different and exciting catalog full of some of the best experts and professionals in their fields today. As well as access to everyone in the whole Podstars universe. It's a great way to invest in your podcast as you will save time and money by being able to book guests from one platform with an expansive catalog that is constantly being added to. So why wait? Yes, why wait? Don't wait. Go over. Join www.podstars.net now and start exploring all that they have to offer. You will not want to miss out on this amazing opportunity to elevate your podcasting career and be part of their exciting community. So... Definitely go check the boys of Podstars over if you're hosting a podcast or you want to talk to anybody. And again, what am I on now? Episode seven or eight? Every guest I've had so far came through the Podstars pipeline. Um, downloads are all going up. The interest is going up. The feedback's been fantastic. The talent's happy. So it's just a win-win-win. Definitely um, working with Podstars.net has been a huge buoy for my show. So yes, a uh, lot to get to as always. Um, you guys know I just got back from vacation. I want to talk a little bit about that. I just don't think we have time today because I just wanted to get through with a couple of the messages I got from last show. You guys loved Buzz. Some fascinating stuff about uh, Clinton and uh, that whole situation and some of the other stuff he had to say. So thank you all for the feedback on that. And thank you for getting me with all your uh, tips and questions and all that sort of thing. I'm thinking I might try to squeeze in another solo episode just so I can do another clearing out all of your thoughts and all of my thoughts and all that. But uh, today is not that day because we're talking with the great Mike Sankton. Again, head over, uh, follow him on Twitter, on socials. He's got the the website at www.mikesankton.com. Just fascinating stuff. You're going to love it. Um, But before we get to that, I know (laughs) a couple weeks ago, I played uh, one of my favorite news because I watching news fails and stuff for me never gets old. So you remember a few weeks ago uh, I played this. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can. I'll write it and we'll do it live. Right. Fucking thing sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's just the best. 
Uh, I want to make it my ringtone, but I'm always worried when you're in like a quiet situation, like in an elevator or something, you're just going to hear, fuck it, we'll do it live. <laughs> so a bunch of people sent in a bunch of different stuff, which again, I always enjoy. You guys know, reach out to me any way you want at Derek Vampire Slayer on Twitter. Um, even just Google The Truth or Derek Show. You can send me messages through a bunch of that or uh, podstars with a Z dot connect at outlook.com. If you have any thoughts, anything you want to talk about, uh, new, any clips, just anything. Just send me whatever you want. Um, love it or hate it, again, I, I could take some constructive criticism. I'm not perfect. But uh, the, the, first, the first one, the people, now I've watched this video. The people sent me a couple good ones, but this one in particular, I've watched it a hundred times. I, mean, I don't know what says my level of maturity, but I, I'll, let me set it up for a second. Shout out to Mike. Send me, uh, send me this clip. Now, I'll, I'll set it up for a second. It, it's a live news report. I believe it's out of uh, Baltimore or somewhere in Maryland. They're doing their, their morning show, you know, where they cover the news, and then they usually go out to somebody who's in the, uh, in the field just to break down the traffic situation and all that. So... I highly suggest if you want to laugh, just go over to YouTube and type in "Is it too early? <laughs> is it too early for a fish sandwich?" Now, the the what the sad part about this was, um, I, I reached out to them to the the anchor and to his name is Traffic Jam Jimmy, and unfortunately he passed away. Uh, I believe earlier this year or last year. So, I will say rest in peace to Traffic Jam Jimmy because this is by far one of my 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 favorite. Um, news clips that it's been sent to me in a while and what's even more fascinating again uh, go search uh, is it too early for a fish sandwich and if you watch the video there's already a mcdonald's bag in his back in his back seat so as they say on the streets is he's already paid the clown once today but he wants to do it again so again this is a live morning show out of um out of baltimore or somewhere in maryland Oh, wow, deteriorating conditions for sure. It's incredible to see what's happening out there. Let's start off with our traffic jam, Jimmy. He's out in our lens solar mobile track, and he's been everywhere from Pennsylvania now down through Towson. Hi, Jimmy, what's the latest? Hello, please go forward to the next speaker. Hey, Thanks. is it too early to get a fish sandwich? Oh, next speaker, hang on. Oh, Candace, we live? Whoops. Hey, I've been to the car since 4 o'clock. I'm starving. I'm just getting something real quick. <laughs> hey, it's too early to get a fish sandwich? Okay, well... Uh, yeah, can I get a fish sandwich? Uh, we're on breakfast right breakfast? now. Breakfast? So All right, give me a uh, egg McMuffin and a black coffee. Thank you. What size would you like? Medium. All right, I'll tell you, folks. Stay put. It's bad out here. I've been out since four. Stay put, folks. Trust me. I didn't know we were coming live. I'm sorry. Anyway, I'm hungry, so I'm going to get a little something to eat. They expect you to work for eight hours in the car. You got to eat, Candace. All right, anyway, don't tell the boss I did this. How much are you, buddy? Four forty. All right. All right. I'll be back in a little while. All right. <laughs> Second time. I told you we were coming to you. All right. Well, anyway. I no, rest in peace, Traffic Jim Jimmy, because that's just. <laughs> there was another one. It was a guy having a meltdown on a plane. I, I, it was. It was recent. So I'm. I'm assuming everybody saw where the guy um, just starts screaming uh, the n-word, and he's wearing a Burger King hat, which. I don't want to play it because, you know, that's not really my thing. Uh, I think it was awful. But if you listen after the, the second time he says it, you can hear a woman in the background go, oh, that's not necessary. <laughs> uh, 
Maybe uh, maybe I'll try to edit that out. I'll try to get it on next week because it was just it's one of those. It's such a stupid video, and it seems like whoever filmed it stopped filming it right when the air marshal just started laying the boots to this guy. And I really hope you know you don't really wish to harm on too many people, but you can tell this guy's just being a nightmare, and um, you know that happens on airplanes sometimes. Um, speaking of airplanes, you guys know I just got back from vacation. Um. Uh, Interesting place. Again, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more next week because, um, I don't know, but I can give you guys some tips and tricks to try to avoid some of the pitfalls that I experienced and how to maximize fun because, uh, oh, fun was had. It was a nice trip. Weather, eh, you know, this time of year when you go south, it can be a little bit dicey, but overall, great trip, but there was there was a couple of, uh, you know, mostly 10 out of 10 moments, but there was a couple of 0 out of 10 moments. And again, uh, I don't know how many people have gone south and been able to avoid that sort of situation, but you know, some of these you know underdeveloped countries, some parts of them are really nice, and some of them are really not so nice. So we will talk about that next week, I promise. Again, I want to do another episode where we can clear out a whole bunch of your questions and play some more clips and have some more fun. You know what we'd like to do here? It's all about the fun. My second favorite F word. Uh, somebody sent me, Jay sent me, this is obviously, uh, I, I know a lot of people. I think I failed my driving test or the written part of the test the first time. I passed the driving part the first time, then had to redo the written one. But it, it, I mean, I don't want to age myself, but it was a little while ago. So, you know, a, a, the age old question is how many times should you be able to fail your driver's test before they say, listen, you know, driving's not for you? I always think of um, In Gone in 60 Seconds. Uh, with one of the with one of the guys when they're they're rounding up the group, he's a driving instructor, and uh, he's trying to teach this woman how to drive, and he's like he just stops. He's like, "Bitch, you can't drive." He's like, "I can't swim." So you know what I do? I keep my black ass out the pool. <laughs> so I'm thinking this woman probably keep her ass out the car. I would think if you failed, I mean, to be fair, you know, maybe you've taken it in bad weather and all that. Like, I know, I would say a lot of people that I know have failed the first, maybe even the second time. Okay, so third time, again, you know, wait a month, you get another rainy day, four times. Five, maybe, okay, so let's say most of the people that I've talked to have said about 15 times should kind of be the limit where... If you fail the driving test 15 times, you're just not great behind the wheel. Maybe wait a year and redo driving school or some sort of rule like that because, you know, we have to share the road, man. We're in this together. Do do I really want to be on the highway next to somebody who took 15 tries? I can tell you one thing, though. I sure as hell do not want to be on the road with the woman that now you can tell. I'll give you a second to, to take a guess. Now, she's 69 years old. <laughs> oh. Yeah, had been taking the driver's test twice a week, which, again, not free. I would imagine there were at least 40 or 50 bucks. Who had tried 959 times before she passed on her 960th try. Now, what I was just saying with my debate, whether the over-under is 15, I'm sure as hell, 960 is too much. I mean, on one hand, you have to admire her fortitude to continue to, to pull forward in that sort of situation because, like, failure would get you eventually. Like, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you're an athlete or whatever. If you try something and you fail at it, I would say at 50, maybe 60, like, <laughs> what made her on, like, the 700th try to say, you know what? 
I, I'm, I'm not giving up. I'm going to pull forward. I'm going to do it. So I don't have her name in front of me. I'm sorry. I had two different sets of notes and I just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to lay out an episode because I hate making, I, I, how long I've been between episodes now. So I'm really trying to tighten up my game to get back to weekly, which I think I'm going to be able to do. So if you guys are enjoying the old Truth or Derek show, there's going to be a lot more coming in the, um, on a more regular basis. Um, 960 tries to pass a driving test. Again, it's too many. Now, from too many to not enough, because as somebody sent me that, I was reading down in the article, and I'm pretty sure this was in Ontario. If not, it was in the northern United States. Somebody actually got a ticket for going too slow on the highway, which I know is dangerous, and I've heard is a thing, but I've never heard of anybody actually getting a ticket. Somebody got a ticket for doing 60 in 100, which is actually like a $175 ticket in two points. As somebody who spends like 80% of their day driving, I get it, but it seems like there's so many. It's like it would, if you pulled over everybody that was driving like an ass and gave them a ticket, everybody would be pulled over. You'd need a thousand cops to do it. But that's alarming that that's actually a thing. So, I mean, I'm for it because slow drivers can be just as dangerous as really fast ones. And I don't know. I've never heard of anybody getting a ticket for going too slow. About, I want to say, three or four months ago, um, when I had already had uh, Schiffer, Josh Schiffer, booked to be the first guest on the show, him and I were going back and forth about, uh, I don't I don't know if his name is Daryl Brooks, I don't remember, the guy, the guy that was representing himself, and he was like screaming and banging on the walls in court and stuff. We were talking just, I think it was on Twitter, uh, you know, I said, you know, have you ever done anything like this? He's like, well, no, not quite like that, but. He's like, you know, if you're, when you're in court, you usually do have to put on a little bit of theatrics. And he said, you know, with that uh, trials lo- trial lawyers college they work with, uh, they do teach a little bit of acting and a little bit of theatrics. Because, you know, you're trying to, it's a whole package. You're trying to put on a show, essentially, to, you know, get the jury's attention and hopefully get the swing it in your direction. So in that conversation, somebody said, uh, you know, when's the last time you lost your temper to me? And I know you guys think that I'm Joe Cool on here all the time, but uh, and again, as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot more chill. But there's certain situations for me, like I have the weirdest one of the weirdest problems I have is every time I go to a gas station, not every time, but I'll say like one out of every three times I go to a gas station, there's a problem. It's just, it's uncanny. I'll just I'll pull up to a pump and the pump is broken, or there's some sort of malfunction, or it's been wet, wet or just there, there's all there's something not working every time I go to get gas and it's not like I go to the same gas station either I go to a bunch of different ones so earlier this week um I went to one just in downtown and I, I hate Shell I absolutely hate it unless they come across as a sponsor and I'm going to be going fill up your tank for less at Shell I was going to say the tiger but that's not that's not the one that's SO. <laughs> So if Shell likes us, we'll like them back. But in the meantime, I just, I hate it. I, I think all of their pumps are prepaid now, which is a bit of a pain, but I don't mind it. But I usually like to go in and like grab a snack or a coffee or whatever it is, or a fish sandwich, <laughs> unless it's too early for a fish sandwich. So I pull up to the pump and right off the bat, it was pretty busy. And there's a sign on the, um, and there's a sign on the thing saying the card reader's not working. They said, just the sign said, the card reader not working, just push the button, pump the gas, and pay inside. So I'm pushing the button, pushing the button. 
it, I tried the the car. I tried the screen. Everything. It's just not working. So I was like, Ugh. so I go in to try to, to to try to prepay, and the guy's like, oh no, the pump's working. I was like, dude, it's not working. I was just out there for a minute. Like, no. He's like, oh no, no, it's working. Did you press the button? And I just, it was just one of those things. I was in a rush and everything. And I said, like, do you think I'm fucking stupid? Like, I've never bought in gas before. I didn't think to push the button before I put the thing. And he looks at me. He's like, did you push the button? And I just, it's like, dude, come out with me. He's like, well, no, then you have to prepay. And I said, yes, that's what I'm fucking here to do. Like, again, I'm trying to be polite and all this sort of thing. But it's like, there's something about when I pull into a gas station, there's always a problem. And I'm talking about like this isn't the only one. There was actually one near my house. And you know, after COVID, they put in those, um, those triggers that automatically stay on. Or that automatically, you know, they lock the handle. Then when it's full, it releases. So we put that on, and I was minding the car. Mind, I might have wandered off a bit. They say not to leave, but I don't know. I was throwing out garbage. And this, <laughs> this thing just started pouring gas all over the, the ground. Like, it wasn't like a couple of drops. Like, it was a lake. So, I, like, I ran over, and I stopped it. And I went into the guy, and I was like, the gas belt. He's like, don't worry about it. I was like, no. I said, you don't understand. Like, it's not like there was, like, a drizzle. I was like, there's, like, a lake of gas out there. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Just go. It's like, no, I have to worry about it because I don't want to kill anybody. And he goes, no, 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 just go, just go. So I was looking around for some of that spill absorbent. There wasn't any. So ultimately, I just left. And then the next day, I was checking the news to make sure nothing bad happened. And I'm glad that it didn't. But just, it, it's one time after another where I get a broken handle or a broken pump or, a, you know, they're out of gas. And the guy's like, we'll put in the medium grade one. And then that one's not working. Again, uncanny thing. You know, if you want to push my buttons, then just send me to go get gas. Now, Gary in Oklahoma sent it. He actually sent across two uh two things, and uh, I will ask Mister Mike Sington your question later. Uh, but he also sent me a news story. <laughs> uh, we were talking a little bit last week about the guy that found the the cocaine inside of his tire and wisely called the police rather than trying to sell it. Which again, I, I did good move, safe. Again, Oklahoma Gary sent me this uh, story about this guy in uh, Laredo, Texas. Now, you don't want to wish harm on anybody, but this guy here ripped off like a stash house or a, um, uh, a, a like a cash stop or something that apparently was run by the cartel, and he knew this. And he ripped it off for fifty grand. Like, if you if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna do something <laughs> like this, you have to make sure it's life changing money. Like change your name and move out of state kind of money because 50 grand as soon as i hear cartel i'm like i I don't want anything to do with this you don't rip off the mob or the cartel or the fbi and all that sort of things like you hear a lot of these stories with these guys that do these elaborate bank robberies and this and people end up dying and there's arrests and shootouts and all that and the guys are like trying to steal like four grand six grand you know thirty five hundred dollars it's just there was one, it was really a uh, sad story, that they, they, they tried to rip off like a, uh, a Loomis, uh, like an exchange stop. Uh, and they had killed, I want to say, two or three of the employees. And they didn't realize how heavy money is. So they had all these like hockey bags that had like a million dollars and stuff in it. They couldn't carry it. So when the police eventually showed up, the guys, I'm not sure, I think one guy got away and he eventually got caught. But like, he got away with like a few thousand dollars. Like it was, it was a stupid story. But there was none stupider than this. So this guy 
figures out where where this uh, stash house is, and he and he goes in and does his whatever he does, and he steals fifty grand. Okay, so this was like a Wednesday or a Thursday, and a Friday, he gets to a party at it's said about six thirty seven thirty p.m. I guess he has a few drinks. I'm kind of hoping he was drunk when he did this, and he starts shooting his mouth off about how he got away with ripping off the cartel. Oh, this, you know what, I got 50 grand and blah, 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 and, you know, trying to make it a big deal out of it and all that. Well, didn't some, gosh darn it, didn't somebody done rat him out? Because they have the house security somewhere between, like, right after 10 o'clock, a pickup truck pulls up to the house, a bunch of guys run in, grab him, put him out, put him in the pickup truck. And, again, this was in, I believe, Laredo, Texas. And then, you know, 45 minutes later, there is a video of that same pickup truck passing the border back into Mexico, and that guy has never been seen from again. Now, again, I would never wish uh, that kind of, well, that just the, the horrible, the, what the next 12 to 24 hours of that poor man's life is like. But, uh, you know, from time to time, we like to hand out advice on the old Truth or Derek show. And my advice today is do not uh, rip off mafias, cartels, uh, FBI, or bank. Just go out and just, because, you know, if you somehow do end up getting away with it, don't go to a party the next day and start telling everybody. Sorry, I have all your other stuff here, and I have my second set of notes, and uh, I got your... your, um, Whoever sent me the email about the expensive concessions and the restaurant uh, stuff and Risk Chris, I'm going to get to all that and the red wine questions. But you know what? As always, our time here is too short, and I can't wait to talk to Mike Sington. And I really think you guys are going to enjoy this. So without further ado, well, my next guest it. needs no introduction. Uh, he is the ultimate entertainment, pop culture, and lifestyle expert. Uh, he was a senior executive at NBC Universal, where a lot of his uh, innovations changed the game for life forever. Uh, he knows everything. He sees everything. Please welcome the ultimate Hollywood insider, Mike Sington. How you doing, man? <laughs> thank you very much. It's a pleasure speaking with you today. Oh, thank you so much. I know we were just talking a little bit off um, before I started recording, and I was thinking of all the questions, stuff I wanted to ask you, but the first one is, like, what is your skin secret? Because you don't look nearly old enough to be retired. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, first of all, Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. But I, I did retire at an early age. I was in a really good situation financially where it, it dawned on me, I don't really need to work anymore because um, I had made really good money and invested it during the entire time at Universal. Uh, well, it's, again, you know, retiring early, I'm all for that because uh, it drives me nuts when I see I know a lot of people that are loaded that work well into their 70s and 80s. But uh, being a senior executive at Universal seems like a pretty good job. Why retire early? Well, th- that's a great question. Um, I love my job. It was an amazing job. And when I first told my family I was thinking about retiring, and my friends, they all said to me, you're crazy. You love your job. You have the best job ever. And th- then I thought, well, if I miss it, I can always go back to work, you know, which people, I guess, say. But I left. And I, when I told my boss, in fact, he couldn't believe it either. He goes, what are you thinking? I'm going, well, I really don't need to work anymore. <laughs> So, Sorry, I want to go live the dream rather than drag yeah, my I ass in here every day. Dream, exactly. 
So then I got all tied up in Twitter, and that's a whole other story. You know, I've, I was going to ask you about that in a bit. I just I want to stick with just with the universal thing for a minute. So obviously, sure. if you were able to retire early and you had that job for a while, how did you move up that ladder so quickly? Well, I say I was lucky, but again, my support system says, you know, you had the skills and you had the personality. But I fell into management there accidentally. Um, I had moved out to Hollywood from Michigan, you know, from the Midwest as an actor, which, of course, you've heard that story a million times. (laughs) And I thought, well, I need a job on the side as I'm pursuing acting. And I really didn't want to wait tables. And back in Michigan, I had heard there was a studio tour at Universal Studios. And I go, that that would make more sense if I could get my foot in the door there as a tour guide, at least I'm on a studio lot and you know, not just in a restaurant. You know, it's funny. So it's, I, it's actually because I, I was going to ask you what your afterwards, what your advice was. But like you actually had like a, a solid plan that made sense rather than like being bitter about it and be like, oh, fuck, they picked Bruce Willis for Die Hard instead of me. <laughs> right. No, no I, I didn't think that way at all. I, like I said, I knew I needed a job on the side because the odds of making it as an actor are phenomenally small, you know, and I knew that going into it. But when I applied for the job, in fact, I remember going to the guard at the gate at Universal, and I didn't know anyone. I had just moved there about two weeks earlier. And I said to the guard, I go, how do you get a job here as a tour guide? And he just laughed at me. He said, well, you're not going to get that job unless you know someone. Uh, And that was one of my first exposures to Hollywood. And I really did find out that it's not what you know, it's who you know. But I applied for the job and got it. And I, I think I did really well at it because I had a passion for Hollywood and showing off the movies and TV shows to people from all around the world. And management took note. And on my own, I would rewrite the Universal tour beginning to end. And uh, I sent it to the president of the studio, my version of the script for the tour. And he loved it and called it his office. And I said, I want you to create a training program for all the studio guides and train them on this version of the studio tour. And and that's how my management career started. Really? So just uh, you came up with a good idea and managed to get it in in front of the boss and off off and running. Those are the two key things, I think, for success in most businesses, to take initiative, come up with good ideas, and get them in front of the boss. So so you get the job. Is it is it kind of what you thought it was going to be? Like, is there like a day that sticks out as like the worst day you've ever had at work? No. But when I got the job as the jury guide at Universal, it was much better than I'd ever expected. I mean, I was doing maybe four studio tours a day. They were two hours long a piece. But afterwards, you'd get applause and people would come up to you with tears in their eyes saying, wow, I just saw sets from my favorite movie. I can't believe we were on those sets. And this has been a life-changing experience for me. So it was all, all positive feedback. 
course, things would go wrong. You know, the tour trams would break down and you'd have to kill time, stalling, <laughs> right? Killing time. We called it stalling. But we had all these facts at our fingertips that we could uh, entertain people with. And you could go car to car and answer questions. And then they had support teams that would come out to your tram with mechanics and you'd have to do tram transfers. And we trained all the tour guides on how to handle medical emergencies, which would occasionally happen. Really? Because you had a lot of responsibility on your shoulders as a young tour guide. I was in my early 20s, but they set you loose with 200 people miles away from the nearest manager. And they're really counting on you to make good, sound decisions on your own and not screw up. It's kind of funny. You wouldn't think you'd need medical care because, like, somebody has a heart attack because they're so excited to see the set of Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That, uh, seriously, people, things, things like that would happen. Or even, like, what do you do if someone has to go to the restroom halfway through the tour, you know? It's just the cra craziest things like that can happen. Some of the best crazy things would be what we call star stuff because you're actually with the studio tour at Universal. You're on the actual working motion picture and television lot. And the stars were fascinated by it. And they understood that those people on the tour trams are the fans that buy tickets to their movies and watch their television shows. So whenever they could, they would take a break from their set and come greet the fans on board. And seeing the reaction of those fans when they see their famous star who's posing for selfies with them and shaking their hands and things like that. I mean, it was really, in a schmaltzy way, very endearing, especially from a young guy from the Midwest. Well, I'm assuming that's like your best case scenario, because I would imagine in your career, you've worked with some people that were just like the, I, I want to use like Christian Bale for an example, like with his meltdown, like, do you have to deal with a lot of that? You do. I, okay. I feel I can really talk to you, Derek, because as we talked about, I'm retired now from Universal Studios, so I'm not under an NDA with them anymore. So I, I feel I can be pretty forthcoming. Yes, I w was in many senior executive meetings in the boardrooms where people are yelling and screaming uh, four-letter words. <laughs> You're allowed to uh, curse here, by the way, if you feel the, if you feel the need. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't really curse in real life. I, I try not to as well. Um, and at first, I was a little taken aback by all that. And then in talking to friends and colleagues, I'm finding out this is going on a lot at the studios. Um, I'm, I will say I've heard everything has calmed down quite a bit since I left several years ago, but I, I found it kind of a, a offensive. But then what's so funny is these guys, it was mostly men yelling at each other the meeting would end and they would go, Hey, you want to go out to lunch? <laughs> you want to go? I mean, like, it, it was like, it was like nothing, nothing to them. <laughs>
Uh, who do you think? Who like in your like you know sort of like a best person ever to have a beer with, and kind of a worst person ever to have a beer with? Do you have someone that yeah. that sticks out to the whole thing? That was just you know they were like, oh him, hey Mike, you got to go see so and so today. You're like, oh god, I do I have to talk to this person? Well, let me tell you the best. Yeah. Um, when I first started there as a tour guide, the, the chairman of the company that owned Universal Studios was the last of the Hollywood moguls. His name was Lou Wasser. Um, amazing, amazing person. And everyone looked up to him. And I came up with an idea as a tour guide, which I sent to my boss, that we should have like some kind of monitor, something in the line when people are waiting for the tour, where headlines, breaking news, like you would see in Variety, are running by and film clips of things happening at the moment to kind of get people excited about Hollywood and, and the tour they're about to see. So I sent the idea to my boss, who liked it, to send it to his boss. Somehow it got to Lou Wasserman, the chairman of the studio. So one of his assistants invites me to breakfast in the studio commissary with him and Army Archer with Variety, who's one of the editors for Variety, one of the best-known people in Hollywood at the time. And just the three of us, and again, I was just a young guy from Michigan, and they're, they're picking my brain for this idea and how can we get Variety directly involved with it to provide the breaking news to the tour guests. And I'm sitting there with these two really Hollywood legends at the time, and I said to Mr. Wasserman, and I called him Mr. Wasserman, not Lou, I said, you know, I really want to learn from you because I... I never realized I'd have the opportunity to sit down at breakfast with you. And I said, what's the one single advice you could give me just kind of starting out at the studio as one of your tour guides? And he said to me, if you ever get into management, the thing that I learned is surround yourself with the best people, hire the best people, set them loose and let them do their thing. And as I got into management, that's exactly what I did. And I think it really paid off because it made me look real good <laughs> and contributed to me being able to retire early, you know? Yeah. Hire somebody smarter than you and take credit for exactly. half their ideas. Like, <laughs> like working girl. Is, you know, the key is you don't micromanage them. Right. You delegate to them and let them do their job and let them shine. And you and you don't worry about who gets the credit. You'll just end up looking good. Yeah. So I think people can really learn from that again in any business. Absolutely. So obviously the flip side of that, what was your biggest pain in the ass you had to deal with? I I had a boss. <laughs> um and she just had a chip on her shoulder. It wasn't just with me, but no one liked her. And everyone complained about her. And people who reported to me would come to me and complain about her mm -hmm. because she would jump over my head and try to go right to them and manage or rather mismanage them. 
um, put into place plans that were ineffective and were unnecessary. And she had a horrible attitude and was not friendly and was not pleasant or nice to people. And I, I took the incoming fire from my staff and tried to kind of prevent exposure to her. And I had many conversations with her about it. And she said to me in a meeting in her office, she goes, you know what your problem is, Mike? Mm. She goes, you coddle your staff too much. I thought, wow, you're telling me I treat my staff too well. <laughs> and I'm thinking, maybe you should start coddling your staff yeah. a little They're bit. They're like, Mike, if your staff doesn't hate you, you're not doing a very good job. <laughs> That's, that was her attitude. So I decided to go over her head to her boss, who was a VP at the studio at the time. And he was more than welcome to talk to me. And he goes, Mike, we've gotten tons of complaints on her. He goes, you're doing a great job. Just hang in there with your team. We're working with her. We're working out with her. And sure enough, it wasn't a month later, she was fired. Oh, I thought and it was one of those like failing upwards, like to get rid of her, they gave her a promotion. No, they got rid of her. They got rid of her. And sometimes when you have a bad boss, you ha have to realize that other people are seeing it and action is being taken behind the scenes. But she, I remember she, she called me into her office to tell me, because I reported to her, to tell me she was being let go. And she was in tears. Mm. And she said, they're not going to get away with it. Not going to get away with it. I've already called Gloria Allred's office. Ooh, right to the top. Discrimination. This is discrimination. I'm thinking, no, maybe you're just a bad boss. You know, <laughs> maybe you're just a bad boss. They fired you. Well, they fired you because they hate you. All of us do. <laughs> right, right. That was the consensus. Well, her, her lawsuit didn't go anywhere. Where, but the story actually has a happy ending. Uh, she was known. She was known for baking cupcakes. Really? And she would occasionally bring cupcakes to the office. So when she got fired, she started a cupcake business and a bakery on her own, which has turned into a huge success with several outlets and mail order all over the world. Really? And I understand she's doing fantastic baking cupcakes. So... <laughs> Well, you you have to find your niche in life. From show business to cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough business, Derek. It's a tough business. I can't imagine. So uh, you, you said that she was going to sue because they said it was discrimination. Did you see a lot of discrimination, like, just in general? Like, not so much racism. Like, was there a lot of racism in the, I would say, in the uh, executive portion? Or was that kind of like a casting thing? Like, what, what was the whole system like there as far as discrimination went? Again, it was several years ago that I was there. I'm assuming things are better now. But the sexism and racism was there, but it wasn't it was wasn't in your face, but you would see it in the staffing. Like I mentioned those board meetings. They were almost all men and almost all white men. Um, I saw that pretty much everywhere 
I went. Um, but I never heard anyone make a racist comment or a sexist comment. But, but you could just see it, who was being promoted and who had the senior executive positions. And then finally, of course, when I was there, they hired a vice president of diversity who, who tried to make some changes. And then actually we would get um, management direction that we had to start hiring for diversity. And if it came down to between two equal candidates for a position, we were required to go with the diverse candidate at that point. So they, they did kind of put guardrails in place during my last few years there. But yeah, you could see that senior executive staff almost exclusively white. Weird, because like, do a lot of actors or I, I want to say like entertainment, say professionals go into the executive part or that's more like like the business aspect of it? Like your job, for example, are they coming to you? Like, are you dealing with the with the talent directly or you're just kind of dealing with like the whole infrastructure of the, the NBC system? I was dealing with the uh, infrastructure but when I was manager of the tour guides, I was hiring the tour guide and we would do um, seminars for the tour guides where we bring in guest speakers and professionals to speak with them and kind of inspire them and help them with their careers. And one of the eye-opening moments I had was we had invited the Academy Award-winning actress Shelley Winters, who's really an American treasure to come meet with the guides and talk about acting. And as she's speaking to our staff of, at the time, probably 200 tour guides, she just stopped. She turned to me and said, don't you have any black tour guides? <laughs> no, we don't. We're not allowed to. And that was opening because if you looked at the tour guide roster, there were very few minority tour guides. And it was an issue of really the talent that was coming to us to try out in audition. So I decided we had to change that. And I actually had to go start recruiting in the minority communities, which we ended up doing. Like we went to um, Latino and Hispanic theater groups and um, black theater groups and and black uh, teaching instructors and you know asked them if they had any candidates they thought would be good for a tour guide program so we had to i had to initiate a reach out program to diversify the studio guide staff because when i started in management there it was not representative of the community or the fans who came to take the tour you know, it's it's funny. My my brain automatically goes to it because like I follow you on Twitter, and a anybody out there who's listening, I don't know how you have the the amount of time to put into Twitter that you do because your tweets not only fascinating and factual, but rapid. Like it's not like like I follow some of the news ones and stuff like that, but the stuff that you tweet again, factual, and it's usually like you know dozens a day. But I just wanted to go back to what you were saying. Is uh, I know that uh, we're not exactly Team Trump. 
when they do some of their uh, the tweets about him and they're like the diversification when they show him doing his tours and they kind of zoom out and out and out and you can't see a single person of color in the whole ocean of people yeah yes i have noticed that <laughs> that and it's kind of shocking if you think about it what do you think sorry i just we'll talk about trump for a minute but i do have some other stuff that i wanted to talk about um I, I just see because okay, we follow a lot of legal. We've had some lawyers and stuff on the show that it seems like his case is being purposely delayed around the presidency. Like, do you are, are you familiar with that situation? Uh, yeah, I'm following it quite closely. Yeah, yeah. It just it it seems like they they they've they've scheduled this perfectly so he can still try to run for president no matter what happens either way. It'll roll in, I guess, in early 2025. They say. Well. I- the only case that they're pushing back that far, according to Maggie Haberman with the New York Times, is the documents case, uh, Mar-a-Lago documents case. She just said last night on CNN that it looks like he's going to spend the entire presidential campaign on trial, two criminal trials that he has to be present for. Uh, first one starting in March. And apparently the two trials that are run during the campaign are the Washington, D.C., January main trial. The shitstorm. And then the Atlanta, Georgia, Fulton County trial. But here's what I have to say about that. For Trump, I think his campaign is the trial. I think for him, there's nothing better than to be seen in a courtroom every day during the presidential campaign. I was just going to say, if, if that it whole thing... feeds into his martyr role. And, and if that case somehow works out for him, that's just a plug. That's just great advertising. Right, exactly. Think it'll be nonstop Trump, 24 hours a day on the news, if he's in a courtroom during the entire presidential campaign. I mean, it'll suck up all the oxygen in the room. For him and his supporters, his that's the thing that could happen for him. But you know, though, I, I think that there's a lot more to the January 6th thing than we know. Like A few weeks ago, we had the former assistant director of the FBI, Frank Figluzion. Oh, he's fantastic. Isn't I he the best? Huge and fan of him. I'll let him know. Please <laughs> um, do. Yeah, so he was going on and stuff about that, that in the U.S., they don't particularly have an anti-terrorism law, per se. So they, what they, I think if the prosecution puts this whole thing together correctly, we're going to get to learn a lot more about what happened and how it happened and all that sort of thing. So I, I think this whole, the January 6th trial is going to be the fascinating one because I think it really is going to open the doors into, you know, how one person could tell another person to do something. And when they do it, they should be held liable. Derek, I, I agree with you. I, I think we've only seen in the public the tip of the iceberg of the evidence that the government has on him. Uh, I think so much is going to come out that I'm hoping it will destroy Trump's presidential campaign, that that people will be actually shocked and stunned. But, I mean, so many hundreds and hundreds of people are in jail right now. And they said at the trials that it was Donald Trump that inspired them to break into the Capitol, that they were following his instructions. Yeah, and those are only the ones that got arrested. I mean, yeah. like, like again, we, we talk, we've talked with a few people about it and a few crime, true crime people. When something like that happens, you can't go get everybody. You, you can't round up that information because it's too much. 
Right. So, you know, hopefully that they can spend the money and they can kind of uh, figure that whole thing out because that could have went like as bad as that was. That was hours away from getting way worse. You know what I mean? They could have burned down the whole building. Exactly. And everybody in it. Yeah. So, uh, it, it just, although one more Trump thing, I'm just going to say because you're obviously a lot more educated on this than I am. Because, like, I always joke, I don't think I'm smart enough to get into politics. Because sometimes you hear the, like, again, we try to be entertaining too. Because, you know, like when you listen to NPR, you get those guys with the voices. They're like, and today on Parliament Hill, and then they, uh, they, yeah. they'll just rattle on for like three or four hours. If you were to tell everybody one, uh, you know, fascinating fact about Donald Trump that they might not know whether that would tip their vote either way. What would it be? Wow. That's a tough question because don't we know everything there is to know about Donald Trump? Well, I think you do, but again, for somebody like me, it's like you can only read so much news and that's what, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling everybody that you've got to follow Mike Sington on his socials because the amount of info and the facts and the insider stuff, it comes at you. There's so much. And again, you really do help us kind of sift through what's important and what's not. Well, you know, the Trump fans think he has such a great relationship with his wife, Melania, and she was the best first lady ever, and she's so beautiful. His, his relationship is strictly a business relationship at this point. And it has been for a long time. It has been for a long time. The reason she didn't move into the White House right away the first few months he was president was she was renegotiating a prenup with him. Really? Because she was as shocked as anyone that he won, <laughs> won in air quotes. Um, and, she, you know, she wanted a better deal for herself. And you can bet it was renegotiated again when he decided to run this time around and I'm sure it'll be renegotiated again if he should get the nomination and then again if he wins but it, they, they go they go months like there was just a seven month period where they hadn't been seen together at all seven months um, seven months yeah yeah from Easter to Halloween when they were not seen together See, you know, I, I hate to, to throw out the accusations, but we actually, last week, we had uh, one of uh, Bill Clinton's military aide, the, the carrier of the nuclear football. Oh, wow. And it does seem like if you're in that presidential circle and all that sort of thing, the opportunities to cheat are just, you know, they're, they're, there's a million of them. And you've got to figure if you, like you just said, well, even when then, when she wouldn't move into the White House and stuff like that, I can't imagine he was being faithful, especially with all the other stuff, again, that you've heard. But again, it's difficult to separate what's fact and fiction. Well, I'm going to go really shallow here. (laughs) um, Shallow it up. Let's do it. Who who would want to have an affair with Donald Trump? I mean. Well, maybe for a payday. I don't know. Like. um, Oh, okay. Like 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 Trump hiring a hooker is that what you're saying? Well, no, uh, well, yeah, or or just maybe so you can get a, a payoff down the road. Like you know, um, I I remember. I mean, the, this is going shallow too. A while back with the whole um, Tiger Woods situation, right? I, I know the the first three or four. I think I guess before the whole thing came out and it got litigious, the first three or four. I I think they were getting in the the three and four hundred thousand uh, area to like you know sign the papers and shut up. Well, 
Trump did that with Stormy Daniels. Yeah, I was, I was, I couldn't, you know what? I, 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 we've kind of went off here. I couldn't remember her name and I didn't want to say, oh yeah, that porn star, but thank you, Stormy Daniels. I, I mean, think about that. He, he had an affair with her and paid her off while he was married to his third wife <laughs> who was pregnant with their son. I mean, and this guy was elected president. And we knew that. Yeah, he's running again. You think? Do you, do you think he's got a chance of winning next year? Yeah, I do. You? Yes. Yeah, so do I. It's because you want to think. Okay, find somebody better than Joe to run against him. It's like I've always wondered. I mean, I think back to all just politics in general. Is why is it so hard to find the best person for the job? Just somebody young that's energetic. They they don't have to be married to a party. They just have to have like a you know, good legal background and like a fire in their stomach to make things better. I mean, seriously, the only required qualifications are you'd be over 35 and born in the United States. I mean, that's a lot of people. Why can't we find somebody great that fits in that box? Great, right, right. Yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to tweet about. Um, but it's really sadly turned into entertainment and it shouldn't be entertainment. No, because again, it's just nonsense. Like if you look at this, there's like, there's a lot going on now just between, you know, uh, civil unrest overseas and this, that, and the other thing is you don't need, (laughs) again, I try not to curse, but you really don't need a fucking guy that's going to be uh, going to court and trying to run a, a campaign and trying to do this and trying to do that. It's like, let's just sit the, vote for somebody in November that's going to be good at this job and sit them there in January and let them do it. <laughs> How does he have 70 million supporters? I mean, I, I think they know he's a crook and a criminal and a fraud and he's dishonest and a cheater and misogynistic and and uh, you know what, with, with the whole thing in general too, especially as you get older, and he's obviously he's got a lot of money. Why would you want to be president? Like at that point, don't you just want to kind of sit back and relax? Uh, I would, but for him, it's about ego and power. Yeah, he's always craved, craved acceptance. You know, he tried to make it in Hollywood, and Hollywood shunned him. They didn't want anything to do with him. The only cameos he had in movies were because those movies were filmed at his properties. And he, that was part of the deal he made that we'll give you the Plaza Hotel if I can be in a scene in your movie. Huh. You know, he he really wanted to be big in Hollywood. Hollywood shunned him. Um, High Society in New York City shunned him. They desperately wanted to be part of that. So he... Gets his foot in the door with politics, and who would have ever thought this reality TV star would have been elected president? I think once he got a taste of that and the attention and power that that job brings, of course he wants more. Of course he didn't want to leave it the first time. Yeah, again, just uh, at that point in my life, like getting up and you know heading off to the Oval Office to dig through a meaningless style of this, uh, pile of paperwork. It's just like, no, nah, I'm not interested. Cause... Yeah, but Derek, <laughs> do you think he really actually worked when he was president? There's no chance. <laughs> I think he just barked orders at people and, and, and ate great meals. 
drank Diet Coke today. Diet I, Coke. I don't, I don't, and then he got to travel the world on Air Force One, you know. I don't think he did any hard work as president. I don't think he stayed up late except to tweet. I don't think he ever read anything. I mean, the people in the White House said you wouldn't even read the presidential daily briefing. They just gave up printing, printing it out for him. So, well, you, you think at that stage you could have somebody read it to you? <laughs> <laughs> I think he did. Yeah, just get somebody with a really nice I voice, like they... Matthew McConaughey, to say, "Can you read this to me for ten grand?" <laughs> Yeah, it's surprising he didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, for all yeah. we know. Yeah. So, sorry, back to uh, NBC. I guess we know who you're not voting for now. You know what? I'm going to be honest here, too. I'm not a big Joe Biden fan. It, it, se- it seems like a lesser lesser of the evil situation. <laughs> because right, right. I, I, right. I, you know, I, again, I try not to talk about this too much, but the people that I do talk to, it's like, you know, we're just going to try to figure out this year and vote for Joe and then see what happens next. But yeah, I, I kind of I feel personally, I don't have a choice. I mean, I know I can't vote for Donald Trump. So if it's Joe Biden who will be the alternative, I'll have to go that way. Yeah. It's fish or chicken and you want steak, but steak's not on the menu. <laughs> like... <laughs> not on the menu. We're out of steak. <laughs> so sorry. So go back a little bit. Um, you were saying when you went to, to Hollywood, you kind of had a plan to get a job rather than to put all your hopes and dreams into uh, being an actor. Uh, that being said, what advice would you give to somebody younger that's going to try to uh, head out to um, Hollywood and try to make a run at it? Okay, if they're trying to make a run at acting, if they have the passion to do it, and you have to believe that that's the only thing you can or want to do, I would recommend you do it. Um, The job market for actors is actually much better now than it was when I was pursuing actors. When I was pursuing it, uh, there weren't all the cable channels. There weren't all the streaming networks. You know, it was much more limited. But the, the volume of content that needs to be made right now is phenomenal. There's before those two strikes happened, there was something like almost 700 scripted series on the air between broadcast, really streaming, and cable. I mean, that's a lot of acting work, um, and a lot of there's a lot of opportunity. So I would not discourage anyone from pursuing it if they have the passion. When I did it, though. I fell into acting accidentally back in Michigan. And I thought, well, this is easy money. I think I'm going to pursue this. But I never had the passion. I never had the fire in my belly for it, which is fine because I ended up, you know, transitioning into management fairly quickly. So it all worked out for me. But I think there was quite a bit of luck involved in that and being in the right place at the right time. With uh, you said seven hundred ongoing uh, scripted shows, it, essentially with, with it watered down like that, are people making a lot less money now than they were, say, ten, fifteen years ago? They are making money now. the The star system of Hollywood is over. Um, the studio executives know they can't count on a name to put butts in anymore. Um, you know. 
crews can still do it with Mission Impossible and, and Top Gun, of course. But that gives more opportunity to more up and coming actors too. Because you never know when you're gonna break through. But no, the, the big paydays aren't there anymore. But you can certainly make a, a good good living at it. You land on a series as a regular. What was the, the biggest bomb you can think like? <laughs> I want to say like at, when you were at NBC, a better question is, what was your biggest failure when you were there? Uh, a movie called Howard the Duck. I, I, th- I remember seeing that. Ever, you saw like the worst. Was I the only one? <laughs> worst movie ever made. We thought it was going to be huge. Completely bombed at the office. But on the flip side, there were amazing magical moments. I remember going to a screening of a movie and the title of the movie was A Boy's Life. Well, it turned out that wasn't the real title of the movie. Steven Spielberg had filmed the movie in secrecy under that title. And the real name was E.T. the Extraterrestrial. No kidding. And I walked into that screening think, knowing nothing about movie except it was going to be one of our upcoming releases called a boy's life the movie turned out to be et and walking out of that movie afterwards thinking we have a massive massive hit on our hand it was just an incredible feeling do you did you have that like uh, like on the flip side of that did you see a movie that you were like wow this is terrible that ended up making a lot of money no, I don't recall that happening. Usually, when a movie's gonna bomb, you know it when you go to a screening of it. Really? Yeah. You're sometimes surprised the other way, where a movie doesn't seem that great and then does well at the box office. Yeah. Same thing with television shows too. You can be really, really surprised by the audience. And a lot, a lot of it is, is timing. I, I remember Ron Meyer told me a story once. He was one of the chairmen of Universal Studios after Lou Watson. He told me a conversation he had with Julie, Julia Roberts. She had done a movie called Notting Hill for Universal Studios. And Ron made the decision to release it the opening weekend of one of the Star Wars films. Big mistake. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember which one. Right? Sounds like sounds like a big mistake. And he told me Julia Roberts begged with him, "Don't open Notting Hill on that weekend." I'm really proud of this movie. This is the kind of movie my audience wants to see me in. And Ron told me he told her, "Trust me on this. The audience for Notting Hill." is completely different than the audience for Star Wars. Yeah, that's, so that's we pretty much as far as you and, get apart. <laughs> we, yeah, right. So we went at an open Notting Hill on the same weekend. Uh, both movies were phenomenal successes. Star Wars was much bigger, of course. But Notting Hill went on to make a massive amount of money in the studio. And it's still, for her fans, one of their favorite movies. I don't think I've seen it. I, I mean, I've, I've had to sit through, I mean, in the last couple of weeks, like some of the movies that have come out lately, like I, 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 I mentioned to you when I was on vacation, I, I watched Avatar 2 on the way back. 
Yeah. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> and on the way there, Barbie was on, which is like the second worst movie I've ever seen. But, but, but that being... You're going to have people coming after you for saying that. But you know what? Listen, like you just said, my opinion obviously doesn't matter because I'm pretty sure both of those movies are well over a billion dollars right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they both did great at the box office. Right. uh, What was your biggest success with a movie that you remember? um, Well, I guess E.T. probably would have been one of them. Well, the Jurassic Park movies were huge huge when when I was there. I mean, all of them were successful the next one was bigger than the last one and then a a franchise that also really took off when i was there were the fast and furious movies yeah forgot about that too i was there for the entire string of all of them except i think the last two i retired before they came out but we were really pleasantly surprised at how well the first one did and we took a chance making the first sequel and that did really well. And the movies progressively, critically got worse, but they, they kept made more money, more and more money. And a franchise like that then spawns theme park attractions for yeah. us. Um, I think people don't know this, but the theme park division of Universal Studios is the biggest moneymaker for Universal Studios. Really? The, yeah, the theme parks worldwide make more money than NBC, any of the networks Universal owns, or Universal Pictures sell. So I had no the, idea. The, the movies and TV shows really feed into the theme parks, and we base all of our attractions on the movies and TV shows. Yeah, I was never a big Fast and Furious guy, but uh, that being said, every time you see those lists of like the thirty. Or forty uh, most profitable movies in you know cinematic history. There's about five or six of the fast movies are in that top thirty-five. Which, right. Which again, it just seems like I don't know. I'm not a big Vin Diesel guy, but it just seems like you you found a niche of people that just want to pile into a movie theater and spend a bunch of money. It, you nailed it. That's exactly it. Like I, I'll always remember one of my one of my first girlfriends when I was younger had gone to see Titanic like twelve times. Are you going to tell me you didn't like Titanic? I love Titanic. Love Titanic. Okay. okay uh, but, okay. Um, yeah, like, after the 12th or 13th time, and she's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to grab some other girls and go see it. I was like, "What a br- whoever put that whole thing together was just brilliant. Because, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, okay, he's great. And, the you know, the boat sinks. Anyone who hasn't seen that, I'm sorry about the spoiler if you haven't seen Titanic. <laughs> it doesn't end well, but... Uh, like, talk about a recipe to just make a, a money-making machine. Like, it's just some sort of brilliance there. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I love Titanic. I've probably seen it three times. Have you seen it more than once? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it more than once. Okay. What movie do you think you've seen the most? A movie called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Oh, Ever that's... Heard of it? Yeah, that, I, I don't want to say African-American, Tracy, but yeah. Catherine Hepper. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think I saw that when I was in school. I think that was one of those supply yeah. teacher they dragged my, out. My parents, when I was a kid, I mean, we didn't have cineplexes. We had, like, standalone theaters. Right. And it was a big deal going to the movies. And I had a bunch of brothers and sisters, but my parents, my mom and dad, said, we're going to take you to a movie called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Um, Sydney Poitier, right? 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who was amazing in the film. And they took me to this movie, and it was like the most eye-opening thing I've ever seen. And I, I think I learned so much more. It was just such a magical evening with my parents that whenever I see it's on anywhere, I have to stop and watch it. And it's, I've probably seen it 20 times. And for me, it's still as good as the first time that I saw it. So any young people out there listening who haven't seen a movie called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, look it up and watch Absolutely. I, I remember with ours, like, because uh, you'd have, again, they used to show you a lot of movies whenever you had a substitute. It was always Of Mice and Men. I remember from grade <laughs> seven, eight, and nine, I probably saw Of Mice and Men like 60 times. And you know, the teachers don't care. We're like, we watched this last week. They just, you know, shut up. They put it on and they take off. Yeah, it's something to do for a couple hours. <laughs> right. It's like Lenny and George and the Ma- I get it. <laughs> uh, so just to go back one more time. Uh, with uh, working in Hollywood, were you uh, were you there during the whole Weinstein situation, or was that kind of like somebody else's problem? <laughs> because nobody wants to say, you know what, I worked with him. Because I remember I heard an interview somebody a long time ago with somebody that was like they they knew for a fact that they were really close friends, and this guy would just keep he was brilliant. I'll, I'll have to find his name. It's skirting the question because they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know what? We have a picture of you two, you know, heading off on a plane to Hawaii and all that. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, we had to go there to sign some papers and we stayed at different resorts. And this, the guy had a, a good answer for everything. So I was curious if you, oh. if you ever had to uh, run in that circle. Are you talking about Harvey in particular or the Me Too movement in general? The, uh, both. Okay. I didn't know Harvey. I had seen him at screenings and industry events he seemed perfectly polite and well behaved <laughs> public you know he's a good actor um, yeah a good actor so i have no personal experience of any of his activity whatever um having said that the business that i saw when i was there and at other studios that i would visit it was very sexist. You'd see a lot of flirting. I never saw anything really, you know, out there and obvious. But you know, I'm a man in a business. I'm not a, a woman. Yeah, because so sure when I had this I question, been- when I had this question in mind earlier, and then you kind of touched on, you were like, you know, the whole executive branch was all white men. I was like, well, then you know, some of this is going on because it's usually the white men that do this. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. But that's good. I mean, you guys obviously are running a clean operation because, you know, you talk to again some people and you hear from some people and they're like, yeah, we knew it was going on, but, you know, it wasn't my business. It wasn't my job. So, you know what? Maybe when you were there, you were uh, guys running a tight ship. I think so. But interestingly enough, Ron Meyer, who I mentioned earlier, who was uh, chairman of Universal Studios, including the theme park. Um, he was really well respected and well liked, but he ended up getting caught up in a scandal that ended his career with Universal Studios. I mean, he, he was married a long time, and then he had to reveal to the studio that he was having an affair with a woman that he had to pay off 
to be quiet, like some hush money payment. And that sunk his career at Universal. And he either resigned or was let go, depending upon how you look at it. So he kind of got himself. That has, and, that has to be, I mean, aside from the fact that you know you're going to get caught cheating on your wife and you got to deal with that, you imagine walking up to your boss and just saying, listen, right. man, I'm, I'm horny and I screwed up. <laughs> right. And I had to make this massive payment. To yeah. Her. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's a strange business. It's just, uh, it's just funny that uh, your whole story about how you ended up, though, like, you seem like you're the kind of person that you want in that job. You're not one of those people that was getting arrested and paying off hookers and, you know, hush, no, no hush money and all this past. sort of thing. No, my life's an open book. Um, and it's been looked into, so, no, I'm not hiding anything. What, um... Was there any other uh, particularly uh, big uh, fails or successes at NBC? I just I was thinking more television show wise. This goes back to I think just before I got into management there, I I can't remember the name of the TV series, but it was called something like Super Train or something. But the whole concept was. There was this super train traveling across the country, and we were packing it with guest stars that would get kind of, it was kind of a ripoff of Love Boat, and each love week- Love Train. <laughs> love Train. It wasn't called Love Train. I think it was called Super Train. But all these stars were going to be you know, caught up in all these escapades every week. And the thing, I think, only lasted two or three weeks on the air. It was big- budget TV series because of the sets that had to be built and the stars that had hired to guest star in it. And it, it completely bombed. Huh. And, but there, I mean, there were shows that I, that's the thing. I don't even remember the names of them because they were so short lived. Was it where the, were there any shows that you guys thought were going to fail that ended up taking off like crazy? Yeah. Shows like, uh, there was one called BJ and the Bear. Um, there was one, oh, one that really did well, much better than our expectations. I know you asked about flops, but it was a show called Murder, She Wrote. Excellent. Like when yeah. we did the pilot for that, we had no idea that would be the success that it was. And it was like the number one show for... 10 years of the 12 years it was on the air really? or something like that. And that filmed all over the lot. And so for the studio tour, we were able to show all of the sets off. Do you guys remember uh, turning anything down that went to a different network and it was a huge success? I know it's I, like, I don't, it's like when I you hear stories about Shark want, Tank and you know Mark Cuban turned down Uber because he thought it was a stupid idea. <laughs> is that seriously? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, but I wasn't in development, so I wouldn't have really been exposed to situations like that. Right. Well, it's probably better off because I would imagine uh, with the celebration comes the this is your fault sort of thing. Right. But I'm sure that's happened at every studio and with everyone and at every studio and at every streamer now, too. You know, they call it the one that got away. Yeah. That ended up being a hit at another studio. 
Yeah, I guess that's the that's the business. It's like, you know, somebody came to you with Survivor and you're like, no, nah, this is stupid. It'll never work. Yeah, who would think <laughs> that would be the success that it, that has become? Yeah. yeah. All right, I got a few more questions here just from uh, some of the fans that uh, when I was telling you I was coming on and then I will let you get on with your life. Um, Kayla in Durham uh, asks, uh, what is going on with Britney Spears? <laughs> I, I find it as disturbing as probably Kayla does. Um, I think we were all happy when the conservatorship ended, but when I, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know what's going on with her. But when I see what she's posting virtually every day, I'm thinking she needs help. She doesn't have anyone looking out for her. And now that she doesn't even have a husband anymore, that I seem like we've been somewhat protective of her. But she's doing crazy things on video that she posts every day. And I don't want to be critical of it because people will say, you know, that's her right, you know, to do whatever she wants in public and to flaunt her body and to flaunt knives if she wants. But it, it doesn't seem like normal behavior to me. But again, I'm not a psychologist. So I find it I find it disturbing and I wish she had some kind of steady and strong support system around her, which I don't think she has at all now. No. I think the conservatorship could have provided some of that, as damaging as it sounds like it was. I think it could have been her support system at the time. And now she doesn't seem to have any. And I don't see it going well in the run. And I'm concerned about her. Yeah, you know, We've talked about it with a few different people uh, when we talk about uh, Brittany is a perfect example of it. It's like I, I read somewhere that she could spend thirty or $35,000 a day, live to be 100, and kind of never run out of money. But Probably, yeah. But with that, when you take away those boundaries, you know, like if you wake up in the morning and you're like, there are no rules. Where, you know, you see a lot of other people that they say they outlive their money or some people that have invested wisely and people that have invested poorly and all that sort of thing. You're still in the in the realm of normal reality where if I knew that I could spend forty thousand dollars a day and never went out of money, like I, I can't imagine living a normal life because why bother? <laughs> it's it's funny you mentioned the realm of reality and if you think about it with Britney Spears, I mean she was famous since she was a kid. So has she ever really known reality? Yeah, you know, I mean, like probably not. Going to the store with only $60 for groceries. Like, there's a reality check. There's a reality, right? (laughs) All right, I got another one for you. Uh, Rebecca from Ontario uh, was wondering, what really happened between Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie? Wow, okay. I, I don't want to get in trouble here, but I think this is my opinion only, so I don't get sued. Um. I think Brad Pitt's got a temper. I think he's really jealous. Um, I think she couldn't stand the physical, psychological abuse. I believe she was getting from him. I think the public has pretty much given him a pass, which I'm not going to do. And I think she was being protective of their children 
and I think she ended the relationship basically because of his temper. That's totally my opinion. Do you think, I mean, I would imagine a lot of celebrities have it. I mean, you probably saw a lot of it too, where it's like your whole life, people have been telling you how great you are and how hot you yeah. are and what a great actor you are. And it's just that it would be impossible not to have a big head. <laughs> right. Um, but but who knows? You know, we're not we're not in their shoes. We're not with them behind closed doors or in private jets. None of us really know what happens. But I, I'm just giving you my opinion. I think his temper ended that relationship. Relationship. Yeah, I kind of thought the same. Uh, two more, and then I'll let you go if that's okay. Uh, sure. Gary in Oklahoma asked, uh, "What is going on with Will Smith?" Okay, for, first of all, they're threatening to sue. Him and Jada are threatening to sue because Will Smith's former co-star is claiming Will Smith is gay. Okay, so what are they suing over? What are the damages? To me, that's an insult to the gay community. There's not going to be any lawsuit. There's nothing to sue over there. There's no loss of reputation for Will Smith. No, um, no people have hated him for a while. <laughs> I think Will Smith. Was the question about Will Smith or Will and Jada? Uh, just the whole situation in general. The whole, the whole situation. Okay. I, I find her completely annoying that she's turned her whole career into talking about her relationship with, with Will Smith. I, I don't get that. Is he in on it? Is he okay with this? Um, what kind of relationship or arrangement do they have for her to write books about it and to talk nonstop in television interviews about her relationship with him? I mean, she's a talented actress. She could have her own career happen. I don't know why she turned her career into grievances over Will Smith. So I'm perplexed by it. I don't know why he's putting up with it and seems supportive of it. Um, I think it's a mess. The whole thing is a mess. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, last one. Um, I don't have a name here. They were saying what, uh, what happened with the whole Matthew Perry situation. Because, again, he was one of those guys that was in the news enough, but then not. like I remember because I'm from Toronto. He had just gotten out of rehab after like a, a 30 or 60 day stint and that there was rumors that he was here like the next day at a, at a Blue Jay game. And somebody said that he looked like he was wasted. Like, what, did he really have a problem like that or it was just bad timing? He, he had a problem. And I'm going on what, you know, he has spoken about and people close to him have spoken about. But the, the problem of addiction was nonstop with him. In his book, he claims that he conquered it, but I had heard he was still having issues again by friends and people close to him that 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 saw him still having issues. So as to what actually happened the night of his death, um, I think, you know, no doubt he was in his whirlpool or jacuzzi, um, but did he, you know, did he have cardiac arrest? 
or was he high at the time and slipped under the water? We won't know until the ecology test come back. But I think there's more to the story than what we're, we've been told so far, that it was just cardiac arrest. I mean, that's what they said in the, the call, the radio call between the first responders that they thought it was cardiac arrest. But I mean, I, the autopsy hasn't said that. So it, it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't look good. Yeah. It seems like you, you see a lot of it when, when celebrities pass, if they were liked, they'd like to think that it was a cardiac arrest or an accident or something like that. But again, if it was somebody, some, I don't want to use any names. If it was somebody else to be like, yeah, he was a drug addict. <laughs> we're better off without him. But he did seem like a like. I mean, I liked him. And uh, even some of the stuff that he did after Friends, uh, he did like a small stint in The Good Wife, and he was fantastic in that. And, you know, he did some cameos here and there. And I just, he always just seemed like one of those genuinely good guys that, you know, kind of sad to see him go. Yeah, totally, totally likable guy. Very well liked in Hollywood. But, you know, I saw the interview with Jennifer Aniston where they confronted him on set of friends and told them he had to stop drinking. They all knew he had a drinking pro- problem when he was doing friends. And I, I don't, from again, from what I'm hearing, he still hadn't overcome even up until the very end. So, as I mentioned, I think we're going to find out more, but this story is over with you. Yeah, it's sad, but um, but yeah, so well, sad and tragic. Well, Friends was a Friends was an NBC thing, was it not? Yeah, it was. So that was like obviously the golden age for television, I would imagine, because there was that, there was Seinfeld, there was Frasier, there was. Oh, and NBC had at one time. I mean, you know, they called it must see television. Yeah. that was NBC at the time. It it, it was extremely popular popular network but then television became all fragmented with cable and streaming so it's just not the same world anymore yeah i guess you're probably lucky that you're not involved with it anymore because it does seem like you'd have to do a lot more work for a lot less money <laughs> <laughs> like mike we need you back you're like i don't care i'm not coming back <laughs> <laughs> It's funny you say that because, as I mentioned, when I retired early, I, I told you I thought, well, I could always go back, but I, I kind of like not working. So, well, listen, we, but, everybody else is going to like it too because you have to, you have to follow Mike. He just, it's all over the place and it's fantastic. Well, thank you very much. But I just want to say, when I was there, I did work very, 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 very hard. I believe you. So. The key to it is love your job, enjoy your job, work hard, be creative, be innovative, and invest your money. Don't spend it on frivolous things if you're making good money. Invest it. And uh, your your goal, hopefully, would be to retire early and happily. Unless you have the $30,000 a day to spend, then just go crazy. Why not? <laughs> unless, you, unless you're Britney Spears. Yeah. All right. You heard it here. Work hard, be creative, invest, and retire early. Mike, listen, man, you're really awesome. Uh, everyone, Thanks, you got to follow him on Twitter, at Mike Sington. And you can go, uh, if you wanted to book him or talk to him, you can either go to 
www.mikesington.com, or you can hire him off of the Podstars website at www.podstars.com. Mike, thank you so much. Derek, I had so much fun. You're a blast to talk to. I feel like you're my new therapist, <laughs> and you brought things out of me that I, I've never told anyone before. Well, so that's awesome. Thank, thank again, you for the opportunity. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Take care, Derek. Take care. Bye-bye.